So yeah, I've had to adapt, but the adaptation for me has been more telling my clients I'm willing to be this flexible and I have these skills, not, oh my God, I'd better learn how to do this from scratch. Hey, Feasters, welcome to episode eight of season eight of Live in the Feast. I'm Jason, aka Rez, helping you grow your business by having a conversation with someone who's been there, had success, and built a business designed around the life that they want to live. That's Live in the Feast. If this is your first time listening, hit that subscribe button so that you get notified every time a new episode drops. Live in the Feast is in your podcast app of choice, and if it's not, do let me know and I'll be sure to reach out and get it there. If you've heard the show before, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or drop us a comment in Breaker or CastBox. Today's co-host is Reuven Lerner. Reuven teaches Python and data science to companies around the world and has been self-employed since 1995. In addition to his corporate training business, he also offers numerous online courses as well as a free weekly newsletter read by 16,000 Python developers. Reuven also just released a book called Python Workout. If you're into nostalgia and geekdom of the early days of the web, you're going to have a few of those, oh, I remember that moments in this episode. We dive into how having a skill that the market has a need for and being able to recognize that and capitalize on it. We're also going to talk about when the market changes, how you could be proactive to address your clients' concerns. And finally, we want to talk about how to look at opportunities and evaluate them effectively for your business. So if you're ready, let's dive in. Feasters, welcome to another episode of Live in the Feast. I am really excited here for Reuven on the show. Reuven and I have been a part of a Slack community for quite some time. He's had me as a panel. We've been panelists on other podcasts. And so this is a true honor for me to have you here because, well, you run a very unique business and I can't wait to dive into it. Welcome, Reuven. Excellent. Thanks, Jason. I'm super happy to be here. So we were just kind of talking before this and we were saying like, you know, we run online businesses, you run an online business that takes it offline with training and things like that. And we'll dive into that here, but we run online businesses and we were just saying that like everybody now with the whole climate that we're in, the global climate, I mean, you're in Israel, I'm in the US. And so we're now in a space where we have to sell online. Before we dive into everything here, what would be your number one tip, if you will, to sell online? Ooh, I would say it's the same as selling in general, which is you want to solve a very specific problem that people have so that people with that problem will identify you and say, hey, yeah, yeah, I want to pay money for this, or I want to at least follow up and talk to them because 
they can fill the hole or, or you know, patch the problem that I'm encountering. It's that acute pain. And the better that you can describe it, the more likely they are to come to you and basically say, here's my money, please solve my problem. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with you on that for sure. I mean, once you know what that pain point is, it's usually easier to go find that person that needs that pain point solved, right? And so you're specifically helping Python developers. How did you fall into Python? So back in 1992, I was still an undergrad and I was working at the student newspaper at MIT where I was the editor-in-chief and I had a few other roles. And uh, we sort of stumbled into this thing that you might have heard of called the web. If you haven't heard of it yet, it's going to be really big one day. I, I can promise you that. The World Wide Web. <laughs> the World Wide Web. I mean, basically, the story is a friend of mine at the newspaper came back from a talk. He said, I just heard this thing. This guy, Tim Berners-Lee, said he invented this thing called the World Wide Web. I think this is going to be big. We should get in on this. So we set up a website for the student paper, and that sort of blossomed. And along the way, we had to start writing some software for ourselves to get the server to work. And so that was when I was sort of introduced to both Perl and Python and one or two other of these high level, what sometimes people call scripting languages. And so I've been using it since 92, 93, sometimes more, sometimes less. And I sort of went through a whole evolution in terms of what I was doing with my business. I was first doing software development and then people started asking me to do some training. And then they started asking me to do more training. And then I went to graduate school, I did a PhD. And when I was sort of finishing up the dissertation, I decided to try doing even more and more training because you could schedule it easily in advance. And it was much easier and well-defined, better defined than doing a software project. Where if I know I have to be meeting with my advisor, with him telling me what a terrible student I am at some date, then having this open-ended project is just not gonna work. And so when I started doing training more and more sort of full-time, I started off teaching like 10 different things as everyone wants to do. Everyone wants to do everything. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to a training company here in Israel that was offering to sort of market my skills. And I said, well, you know, the main thing I like teaching is Ruby. And they said, oh, that's really nice. But do you know Python? I said, oh, I do know Python. They said, great, because we have a ton of demand for that. And so the market sort of spoke. And even though I could have gone in a whole bunch of different directions, Python was massively in demand. And the more I got into it, the more I discovered the depth, the elegance, and so I now just define myself as a Python trainer. And what do you know, I've got more than full-time work just doing that seemingly very small niche. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome story because similarly, I was an undergrad when the web came out. And in 92, I was a, 92, I was a sophomore. Mm -hmm. And I actually wound up cutting my economics class, which was a long-distance learning class. Really, at that time, there was nothing wow. like, of this sort, right? But it was the most boring three-hour class that you've ever, <laughs> three-hour TV show that you've ever seen in your life. And so I wound up cutting that class to build a website. My friend taught me HTML, JavaScript over email, and I built a, a website, right? And so that was the genesis of my falling in love with the web. I went the Java route right out of college J2EE stuff, building oh, wow. big server applications and things like that. And so one of the things that I learned early on, much like what you just described, like, hey, I like Ruby, there's just demand for this other thing, was when I left my first full-time job out of college and I got hired by a consultancy, I had something on my resume that was an application that the code behind that application was Tickle. Uh -huh. And 
they wanted me because they had several big in demand for tickle. And it wasn't until I turned them down three times that they said this to me. They said, well, look, you have a skill. Obviously, you know, tickle. So you can write your ticket. You could go wherever you want. You could travel, whatever you want to do. You could pick the projects that you want to work on. We just want your skill at that level. I was just like, I don't even like that language, (laughs) but you're telling me I can write my ticket, go wherever I want. So, okay, so I'll go ahead and do that. But that was the first time that I realized that like, Hey, there's a market that would define a need that you can fulfill. Right. And so when you talk about training, can you describe what that looks like for you? Sure. So I'll get a call from a company. Let's say the first time, you know, First time caller. So company calls me up and says, listen, we are transitioning our testing system from language X to Python, or we have decided to use Python for whatever thing it is. And we need our developers who are very experienced, whether it's in Java or C Sharp or C++ typically, we need to get them up to speed really quickly in Python. Can you teach a course for them? And the answer is yes. And then we talk about the details of what they want to learn. And almost always it'll fit into either my intro class or my advanced class. Sometimes we'll sort of pick and choose a few things from that, but over time they've been better and better defined. Truth be told, mostly as a marketing tool. So I can say, I do this and I do that. And it's a product rather than them saying, well, we want you to teach A and B and C and me having to sort of patch it together. By the way, almost always they'll say, oh, we have very special needs. And we'll have this hour-long phone call in which they'll describe their special needs. And I'll say, oh, I think my beginner class handles that. And I'll describe it to them. They'll say, yes, that's exactly what we want. So we could save the hour-long phone call, but fine, that's how it is. <laughs> and then we'll schedule, typically my courses are four days long, and we'll schedule days for that. And I show up in a classroom of somewhere between 10 and 20 engineers, each with a, a laptop with Python installed. And we go through um, some combination of lectures, discussion, and exercises. And we run from, let's call it nine to five on a given day, minus an hour for lunch and two 15-minute breaks, lots, lots of lab time, lots of discussion. And if all goes well, then these people, A, have learned Python, B, are able to do their jobs better, and C, the company is so happy with the increased productivity and the fact that I was able to get them up to speed more quickly than could happen with online training or with a book, that they invite me back for the next group. Because if it's a big enough company, they don't only have 10 to 20 engineers. They have 100 to 200 engineers or to 1,000 engineers who need to go through the same training as they go through the same process. And so I have companies I've been training at for five, 10 years already, coming in and teaching new groups. And then I can upsell them on, well, if you liked intro Python, would you like advanced Python? If you like advanced Python, would you like a practice workshop? If you like that, we'd like data science. And so I have people who have been through three, four, five, six courses with me. And my client at the end of the day is really the training manager, the person who's ordering these courses and is in charge of the budgeting, even though obviously I'm interacting mostly with the students and teaching that. Mm. So this is interesting. So I have a couple of questions, but in the context of what goes on right now, right? Mm -hmm. With everything being shut down, you know, the whole social distancing idea and everything else, nobody has classrooms and people are working from home, right? So how have you adapted to that? So in a few different ways, first of all, I've been teaching online with WebEx and Zoom for a few years already, partly because I have a few multinational clients where, for example, they want to offer an intro Python class to everyone in Europe or everyone in North America. So they could fly people in, but it's easier, cheaper for them just to say it's going to be on WebEx at the following day, the following time. 
and I log in from home in Israel and they log in from wherever they are. And by the way, like the funny thing to me is always, I don't know any of these people, but they don't know each other either. And so for them, it's also meeting lots of strangers, even though they all work for the same company. This is just such huge companies. <laughs> so I've been doing it for a while, but obviously for other reasons. So when the whole pandemic started, I actually emailed all my clients and I said to them, listen, I have experience doing this. So if you want to do online training, I'm happy to do that. So one of my clients, the one that's mainly done the online training over the last few years, grabbed a bunch of dates for me and they said, yes, we want to do this. Um, so their people are sort of used to it. Another client that had never done online training before said, let's give it a shot. We're doing a slightly weird way. We're not doing full days. We're doing half days. So in the morning, I'll do intro Python. In the afternoon, I'll do advanced Python for a totally different group. The next morning, I'll do Git. They're like slicing and dicing. And I said, look, I'll, I'll meet you halfway and we'll um, find a way to be flexible. That said, Israel is opening up faster than the U.S. And so I was just talking today with a client where in another 10 days from when we're recording, so in early June, mid-June, I'm actually going to be on site there. Hmm. And I must say, I'm a little nervous about that. I made sure that we're not going to be in the tiny, tiny, tiny windowless room that they cram people into. That would not be wise. And where I mentioned this to her, she said, oh yeah, I should reserve the really big room. Okay, good that you mentioned this. <laughs> but truth be told, other than that, so I'm going to have eight days in June and July when I'm going to be training in person. Other than that, everything through like October at this point, maybe even November, that is scheduled, is scheduled to be online with WebEx or Zoom. I have a few, actually not true, I have a few in-person trainings I'm supposed to do in various places, the US and London and India, and I hope they'll happen. I hope this is, you know, the, the world will be better enough for it to happen, but if it doesn't happen, I won't be hugely surprised. Hmm. So yeah, I've had to adapt, but the adapt adaptation for me has been more telling my clients I'm willing to be this flexible and I have these skills, not, oh my God, I'd better learn how to do this from scratch. Time moves forward whether we want it to or not. And when it comes to our businesses and our clients' businesses, we need to be able to move with those times as well. As Ruben shared with us just now that when the pandemic landed for most of his clients, instead of waiting for his clients to figure out what the solution was for them, he went to them and showed them exactly how he could help. I did this in a very similar way and wound up actually creating a brand new service a day rate service for my business as a result of this. I've always felt that learning from other successful people running businesses, trying new strategies and growing together as developers, designers and creative professionals providing client services shouldn't be too difficult to obtain. It's why this podcast has now existed for 88 episodes over eight seasons. It's also why Feast Club was born feastclub.co. No more stale articles from 2008 on the web, giving you tons of advice on how to run your business and double your revenue for 2008, 9, and 10. See, as a Feast Club member, you're going to be a part of a community of like-minded service providers, building predictable income and systems to grow their business in today's market right now. And this private community doesn't have some golden gate that you need to pay a high price for entry. It's only $5 a month. And for that $5, you're going to get support, confidence, and be challenged from everybody inside a Feast Club. That's what helps you make great strides in achieving the goals that you set out for when you started your business. Again, 
It's only $5 a month and you're going to find stories, strategies, resources for marketing and optimizing, selling, pricing, and building your services. Ultimately, it's a safe place for you, a client service-based business, to share ideas and get support and maybe even land a project or two. You're going to get access to a private Slack community, a super secret podcast, access to monthly Q&As and virtual co-working sessions, all of this for $5 per month. So if you want to check it out and join a community that's built on the saying, a rising tide raises all boats, head on over to feastclub.co today. And yes, you did hear that right about three times already. It is only $5 per month for a limited time. But if you join today, you'll lock that in for as long as you are a member. I hope to see you inside the club. And now let's get back to the conversation between Reuven and myself. I think that's key there, right? Like you were proactive into letting your clients know that you do have this yeah, because of this thing, this is the solution. And oh, by the way, I've done this many right. times over before. And you let them know, which allows them to then say, hey, look, then we don't have to go anywhere else. We don't have to take this in-house. We don't have to do research online to find out, you know, how are we going to replace this training, right? So you've already preempted all of that and just opened the door for the line of communication to then figure out what works best for everybody. That's right. That's right. So... And maybe this is in the context of like, you know, both of us went to school in the 90s. We grew up on the web, so to speak. Like there was no such thing as the web when we grew up. We were playing video games and Commodore 64 and like very terminal driven type stuff. But when we started our careers, the web was an infant, right? And so did you ever think during the course of your career that, well, maybe I just make this fully online versus doing the in-house workshops? Yes. So I think it's still on my blog somewhere that I wrote, it must have been at least 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. I'm never going to teach online. I'm going to teach in person because that's where you get real interactions and depth of discussion and people's attention. And okay, so I'll only be with smaller audiences, but that's okay. I can do that. And okay, so I was a little like full of myself then. Some would say still now, but just with more experience. And there's something to that, right? It's not totally wrong to say that in-person training is deeper, better, more effective. However, online training can be effective and it can be almost as effective. And from my perspective, in two different ways, it has many advantages. Number one is the scaling. I can reach many, many, many more people and help many more people. There are people all over the world who have now taken my online courses of various sorts and have learned and have written to me saying, wow, thank you for providing us with this opportunity. And this is just touching for me, right? Like, like this is amazing. And also simultaneously at the, from the business perspective, it's scalable and I can sell many more and I can make much more money. So when, for example, over two months, I basically didn't have any courses in person because these companies were just shell-shocked. Oh my God, there's a pandemic. What are we doing? 
I was still able to sell a whole bunch of online courses to individuals around the world using my platform and even to a few companies that wanted to buy my courses for their groups. So I don't think I'm going to move permanently online. I think there's too, there are too many advantages also to me as a trainer to talk to people, get their questions, interact with them and learn so that I can teach better. But I would not be surprised if the next year or two, I moved to say 50% online and even online recorded simply because the of the opportunities that it offers me. Right. Yeah. And that was my next question to see how much in-person versus online you were at. But for me, it's the weird thing. Like I've, you know, I worked for Fortune 50 companies that brought us to in-house training sessions, much what you're describing here. And there is a huge difference that, yes, that was early on in my career, late 90s, early 2000s, those sort of time frame. But even now, when I learn online, it's amazing how much knowledge you can get that's available. But at the same time, it could just be the, the way I learn. It takes me three, four, five times to see that same thing over and over and over again online in video form. Then if I was just sitting with you in that same room, I'd get it right there. Right. So I'm seeing that as like a double-edged sword. Like it's both positive and negative. So, and here's, here's what I learned. So I have one client where they're doing something that's a little weird, even very weird, where they decided they want to have their employees use my video courses, but they don't trust, like especially my video course on Git, but they tried having people just like watch these on their own. They didn't make time for it. They tried allocating time, they didn't do it. So they now have me come and sit in the room while these people watch my videos. And so every hour or two, I stop, we do a Q&A session, I go over some points. So they're getting some lecture from me and I'm there to help them. But it's like, as I describe it, I'm my own TA. It's really kind of funny and weird. And so I've asked them about it and several people have said it's actually superior in their minds to an in-person lecture because they can go back, because they can pause. And if they were to ask me to stop, and Israelis, uh, as you might know, are not shy in retiring classrooms. So they have no problems with saying, hey, I didn't understand this. And even they are not gonna stop every few seconds if they don't understand. Whereas with a the video, they will. And then they'll call me over if after three, four times they don't get it. So there is an advantage there. At the same time, it means that a nine hour video class, which is my Git course, takes three full days to get through because it's not really nine hours. It's nine hours twice over plus lab work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, I like, I do like that idea of a, of a hybrid. <laughs> I don't know that I would, if I had <laughs> in my location, I'd be like, just go ahead and teach it. Like I'm not going to put you up on a TV screen, <laughs> but same thing, right? That's the advantage with having a video course is that I can always scrub it back and forth and be like, you know, when I enter a problem, I say, hey, look, I, I remember seeing something about that. Let me go take a look at it again. You can't do that in a live session. So I get that benefit there. Do you ever offer like things where it's like you do the in-person live training and then give them licenses to the recorded videos and courses? Is, is that how it works? Sometimes. I'm still feeling my way through that. So when they ask for the videos, like this company, they pay for the licenses for the videos. I've had a few other companies where they had, like they bought the videos and they brought me in to do sort of more lab work, training, Q&A. But I'm still trying to figure out sort of how to, how to even manage that and price that other than, well, you pay for a day of my time, it's this. And if you pay for the course, it's that. 
that's basically where I'm at now, but I probably should and could get more sophisticated on that front. Mm. So one of the things that I always, I like to ask all of my guests on the show, co-hosts, is what has been your defining moment in life so far? So I think it would have to be being at that student newspaper. Like I've been thinking about this Mm. and it led to just about everything. It sort of focused everything I'd been doing before, all of my interests. I was interested in programming. I was interested in writing. Always been interested in the news and production of things. And being there at that time where just like sort of a whole lot of coincidences, we had someone who was affiliated with Apple. And so got us a grant to get some fancy new computers from Apple while we were there. So we switched over a typesetting system. Then we did the web thing and became one of the first websites. And then a friend of mine from there invited me to come work at Time Warner, where I started doing web development. Like each of these things, but it all focused around the newspaper. We're also the nature of it being a student newspaper and the nature of being a student newspaper at a school where people typically don't like to write. So you have a very small number of people who are really dedicated to it. It's affected me for now decades where I can now write quickly and easily thanks to the experience I had there. I got early experience with the web. I had early experience running an organization. Not that I'm doing that nowadays. And so everything I learned uh, in kindergarten, what was the name of that book, right? Everything I needed to know Mm -hmm. I learned in kindergarten. With me, everything I needed to know for my career, I learned back at the newspaper. It's like a straight line back from there. That's awesome. All right. I got to ask, did you use links at all back then to browse the web? So <laughs> the answer is yes. So, so, so basically what happened was we decided we were going to do the website, but no one had browsers, right? Like you had to teach people. So we took out these full page house ads in the newspaper saying, now you can read us online. First, you need to download a browser. Here's how you do it. And we had a really sophisticated campus computer system where you could like install software very easily and everything, but it's still like required instructions. And so at that time, Mosaic was the big browser. That was what gave Mark Andreessen his thing. But if you were still using just a terminal, and many of us were, then Lynx was indeed what you would want to use. And as things progressed, like a year or two later, and things started to have color and JavaScript and so forth, some of us enjoyed using Lynx because it gave us a sort of quieter, simpler version of the web. Nowadays, of course, I mean, Lynx still exists, but it can't do even like, I would guess, 1% of websites just because of all the graphics and JavaScript that are necessary for it to work. Yeah, it's funny. Jack McDade, he's a designer developer. He's the creator of Statomic. I had him on the podcast and his design aesthetic is 80s. So he does a lot of the pinks and the flash and like the Chrome kind of fonts and all that stuff. And I did see him come out with a Lynx-like theme. And I was like, oh, wow. if I only could just run my business off of that, <laughs> that would be so awesome. What a riot. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to ask that because of the time period and stuff. Same thing. We were on Sunboxes and we were running Lynx and VI and like, Still to this day, anytime I'm on a Unix box, I always load up VI and people are like, what are you doing? Like, how do you, don't you use Emacs or, you know, whatever? I'm like, VI, VI is it, VI is everywhere. Yeah, I, I really thought I liked you, Jason, but like you're talking about VI and I, I, I am an Emacs user, so we're gonna have to cut this short. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, awesome. So yeah, for anybody that's still listening to this show, it's like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, nonetheless, it's it's like if you were a Photoshop and Figma person or Sketch or whatever the design tool is at this time. So 
I want to talk a little bit about how you cater to the other side too, right? So you said that your client is essentially the businesses that hire you to come in and train their people. But yet at the same time online, you have a course, it's a free course that tells people how to ace Python interviews, right? I mean, I think that's the, the name of it too, right? Ace Python yeah, yeah. interviews, right? But the only time I've ever spoke to somebody and we both a mutual friend of ours, Josh Duty, he kind of plays corporate and as well as the individuals as well, right? And so how did you, I guess the better question is, is why do that both sides? Do you ever cross them? Okay. So, so first of all, like you, you can imagine that I have, like I have basically two training businesses. One is the in-person corporate training and the other is the online training. And I have like, was it 15 different courses, most of which are paid courses. Ace Python interviews happens to be free. And I'll explain why in just a moment, but there are people who do only online courses, people who do only corporate training. I sort of try and do both, straddle both worlds and each one informs the other. And I actually expected there to be great crossover between them. I figured there would be a bunch of people at my corporate training who'd be like, wow, this guy teaches even more. I'm totally signing up for his courses. That happens on occasion, but pretty rarely. I also figured that people would see my online courses or subscribe to my newsletter. I have like 16,000 subscribers to my newsletter now that comes out every week. And people would say, wow, I want this guy to come do training at my company. And that has not happened except in a very small handful of cases. So the B2B and the B2C markets are almost completely distinct, much to my great surprise. So basically I was thinking, okay, I, I wanna come out, like I've got all these different Python courses for pay. And I decided I wanted to do something that would sort of combine a few different things. One, we get my name out more. A second one, to benefit the community. Um, and I really wasn't sure what I could do. And I literally had a conversation with someone one evening. And the next morning I went in to teach at one of my Fortune 100 companies. And someone there said, who's been in a bunch of my classes, said, Ruben, listen to me. I know what you should do. I'm like, what do you mean? You know, like, <laughs> and you've been listening to my thoughts last night? He said, listen, if someone goes to interview for a job in Python, they search online for Python job interview questions. There are tons of sites and they're all terrible. If you put together a course of interview questions, I'm sure people will buy it. I'm like, buy it. I'll make it free. So I spent about two weeks recording. I really rushed the whole thing out. And I had like, was it nearly 2000 people have downloaded and taken it so far. Hmm. And the feedback I've gotten has been marvelous. Some of these people have gone on to buy courses for me. So it's been a very good sort of lead magnet and a way for people to get to know me. Others have just continued to get my newsletter because they do get on my mailing list then as a result. But it's something that I can easily say to people, hey, take a look at this. I think it'll benefit you no matter where you are in your Python career or if you're looking for a new job. And it introduces them to me and to my brand and gets the name out, which is, of course, the name of the game in the consulting business. Yeah, I think that's super smart. I mean, instead of putting a price tag on it, people are searching for this thing. They're looking online. You know that. And the other side of it is, is because you're in the corporate sector as well and working with them, you know what they're going to ask. You know what they're looking for. Right. They, you know what they are expecting from their teams. So you have that unique perspective on being able to say, hey, look, this is who I am. This is who my clients are. And this is who my clients are asking for. I had, uh, it's probably a year or two ago already, I was giving uh, my intro Python class and I gave an exercise having to do with object-oriented programming. Like one of the exercises I've been giving for a few years already that I really enjoy. And someone says, hey, I've seen this before. 
I said, really? Where have you seen it before? He said, this was one of my interview questions in coming to work here. So, <laughs> so I guess they really like that question, but it also demonstrates, yeah, that's what they're looking for people to be able to answer. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. yeah. It was funny when I asked Josh, because Josh does something very similar where he helps software engineers and developers and such like help basically negotiate their salary and things like that. And he said something similar where he expected that there would be some pushback from corporate America saying, hey, stop giving away our secrets and those sort of things. And <laughs> But he said he's never really had anybody come back to him and say any of those types of things. And I guess it kind of echoes what you were saying, the B2B world and the B2C world, maybe a small percentage bleeds over, but for the most part, they're in their own worlds and how you serve them has to be different in that way. And kind of goes back to what we were saying before about the niching down and specializing. That's right. Look, at the, at the same time, what's so maddening about some of these Python interview question sites is that they have sometimes questions that aren't bad, but their answer is just incredibly foolish. Like anyone who can memorize that sentence and then come into an interview and says that memorized sentence will be transparently ignorant. So part of what I try to do in my course is not just give the answer, but it's, it's like videos. It's six hours of videos where I walk them through screencasts of here's why the answer is the way it is. So they'll have a better depth of understanding, not just the answer, but why the answer is. And so I don't think any corporation is going to be upset about that because I'm not giving away secrets. I'm mm -hmm. helping people to have a better understanding. And if they answer the questions, well, that's great, but that's just a byproduct of being better Python developers. Mm, yeah. So it's not even just acing the interview. You're helping them ace their career. That's right. And it's a teaser in some ways for what they can get from my other courses where, yeah, I'll have five minutes on variable scoping in Python. But, you know, if you take whichever course, the functions course, you're going to have a whole lot more on scoping and go into much more depth. So hopefully if someone says, oh, yeah, I really like the way he explains it, but I'd love to learn more. Guess what? There's a way to do that. Yeah, lead them into the next thing. Awesome. So before I let you go, I want to be mindful of your time, obviously, but what's up next with the next six, 12 months? So I've got a few parallel tracks going on as usual. So number one, I've got my corporate training. As I mentioned, I've got a whole lot of stuff scheduled. Number two, with my online courses, I'm actually planning to do a massive rejiggering of how I have it. Because right now there's so many courses People come to my site and they're like, ah, oh, where do I start and what order? So I'm actually going to be taking these courses and bundling them together. So there'll be fewer. So there's going to be a beginner bundle and an advanced bundle and the data science bundle. And then you'll be able to choose the one that's appropriate for you or more than one, you know, if you're a nice person. And over time, I can add to those bundles, but it'll be a much, much clearer way to market the courses. But I'm also trying to get my name out more and more. So I've got a book that's being published by Manning. It's actually going to be printed within the next month. Finally, finally, I'm like, every day I'm going through some more of the typeset galleys, checking what they look like. And I'm also starting to do some online training for O'Reilly, where they said, oh, Python for non-programmers, we really need something that will service them. So they'd seen, like, once again, doing free stuff. Like, I have this free Python for non-programmers course that people can take. They noticed that. I've been talking to them for a while, and so I'm going to start doing it for them. And I'm hoping that between the book publication and the O'Reilly training, more people will notice me, more people will come to my site, more people will get to know me as a brand, and then also buy my either online or in-person training. Mm. So it all sort of feed off of each other. 
but I'm all in on Python. And the fact that the language continues to grow at a crazy, crazy rate, and that so many people are getting in on it. Last week on our podcast, we interviewed uh, Adam Davidson, who's this really famous reporter. And he said to me, he had just been talking to an economics professor, and Davidson asked this economics professor, so what do you think people should be doing during the, like, the shutdown? And the professor said, you should probably learn Python. And I said, I thoroughly endorse that, <laughs> that assessment <laughs> of what people should do. Can I offer you some courses on the subject? But, uh, but yeah, things are looking good for Python. And um, I'll just keep learning and keep teaching as long as I can. That's awesome. Yeah. I think that's the thing that I'm, I'm trying to do more of is, is learning things that are interesting to me. And so Python's always kind of been over here, like just in the context of me, I'm a PHP developer. That's where I grew up on Java, Ruby, those sort of technologies, but PHP is kind of where I, I centered. But Python's always been over here and like just a little bit off center. And so mm -hmm. I've been messing around with it. I didn't know that you had the other free courses, so I'll be diving into some of those other things too. But just because some of the things that I do locally on my own laptop, I want quick scripts. Python's perfect for those sort of things. And like, you know, just to be able to even do things from the perspective of just tying some APIs together too for quick scripts and things like that. Like, I've done it with PHP, but it's messy. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, like I've been dabbling in Python and I like it more and more. And it kind of lends itself, at least my rudimentary knowledge of Python, it lends itself more towards the Ruby side of things. And that's where I really like. I love Ruby on Rails and things like that. And so... I often, you probably, you must remember the, uh, the TV show, The Odd Couple, right? Mm -hmm. So I often say that Python and Ruby... Are like Felix and Oscar, where Python is like very neat and there's only one way to do it and it gets kind of annoying, but at the end of the day, you know where things are. And Ruby is like all over the place and messy and creative. But like at the end of the day, what's what's happened basically is that the world has just coalesced around Python because writing code nowadays is less important than maintaining code. And so your creativity, as amazing and important as that is for your self-satisfaction isn't going to pay the corporate bills as much. And that, I think, is part of why Python has now just taken off in all these different fields. And yeah, you can do like crazy... I mean, who? none of us imagined it. Back when I was reading the man pages to learn a program Python in 1992, who imagined it was going to be this crazy, crazy popular language? But it is, and it's survived, and it's thriving. And um, as I've discovered, you can make a career out of it. But even people who aren't teaching it, everything from teensy-weensy scripts on your own computer to massive applications... It's kind of astonishing to see where this language has gotten in just, what, 30 years or so. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ruben, for sharing some time, your experience and wisdom with us today. Where can folks reach out and, and say thanks? Sure. So first of all, I'm on Twitter, Ruben M. Lerner. They're welcome to follow me and DM me. I'm always happy to hear from people. They can email me also, Ruben at Lerner, C-O-I-L. And if they go to my website at Lerner, that's L-E-R-N-E-R dot -E -E C-O dot I-L, that's sort of like a central point where you can learn about my courses, training, books, mailing list, and uh, everything else. Awesome. And we'll link all of those up in the show notes. And when that book comes out, let me know. I'll also put that in the show notes as well. Ruben, thanks again. My great pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Jason. And for everyone listening, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. If 
you enjoyed today's episode, I can speak both for Ruben and myself by saying that we'd love to hear the one takeaway that you got from this episode. Also, if you don't mind, what was your most memorable moment in the early days of the web? Just super simple. In the podcast app of your choice, presumably it's the one that you are listening to right now, drop in a comment or a review, or go ahead and share it in a tweet and tag me at Reds. Also, hit that subscribe button so that you're the first to listen in next week when we dive into another success story on building your business. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Mm-hmm.